The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hello and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks team coverage podcast, formerly known as Hoop Ball Hawks. We cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm recording on Saturday, September 3rd. Happy September, everybody, and happy the start of college football. Week one is officially here. I know everybody here in Atlanta is excited. Uh, Georgia and Oregon is later today. Um, as far as all the other teams and people who represent them win the metro area, a whole bunch of teams are playing today, including my team is playing tomorrow, uh, the LSU Tigers, who uh, open up the season in the Superdome versus the Florida State Seminoles. So I will be tuned in tomorrow. But this is a Hawks podcast. And even though it's going to start not Hawks related, this move was big enough that it's causing ripples in the Eastern Conference and it's going to affect the Atlanta Hawks in some way. So when we talk in the big landscape of the NBA and ripple effects and affecting the Hawks, you know who we had to get up on this program. Joining us today is a friend of the program, a friend in life, my brother, who is almost omnipresent when it comes to the NBA. Almost. I don't want to give him too much credit because he's a pretty humble, dude. But King Drip is back in the booth. David Bracey reporting live from St. Louis, Missouri. David, how are you doing on this early Saturday morning? Brad, feeling great, man. Glad to be back on the program. Really appreciate you having me on. Um, still still processing the trade that we're about to talk about. Uh, but I'm excited because we got more to talk about. Usually you don't have a whole lot to discuss around the beginning of September for the NBA. So Christmas came a little early. It really did because I know and listeners know that, you know, there's been some space between episodes. But this really I mean, we talked about the schedule last episode, which was a big, obviously, episode kind of preview in the year talking about what are the most important moments. And I did and did not mention this team but now we're going to have to have to mention this team uh the cleveland cavaliers and i'll let david break the news if you've been under a rock david has you as far as what trade he is alluding to here in the nba yeah absolutely so um on the first of september do you remember oh remember the first of september um Utah and Cleveland made a trade that we knew Utah was looking to make for a while. We thought that it was going to be the Knicks that was going to be their trade partner, but Cleveland came in at the 11th hour and got the deal done. Um, so the full trade, as Woj detailed it on his Twitter page, obviously Utah sent Donovan Mitchell um, to Cleveland, and in return they got Lori Markkinen. Uh, they got the new 14th pick, uh, Agbaji from uh, Kansas, as well as Colin Sexton, um, and they actually turned Colin Sexton into a sign-and-trade. Uh, so he is going to be there along with Markkinen and Agbaji as what the Jazz and Danny Ainge consider um, future pieces to build around for this kind of teardown that's going on in Utah. So, I mean, obviously, immediate winners, you know, Cleveland, because they got four all-star starters now essentially on their roster. Uh, Mitchell, Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley, who I think is on the cusp of becoming an all-star any day now. 
Um, and then as far as Utah is concerned, you know, they, they got some good pieces back. Uh, Lori Markin, and I think it's definitely going to be a crowd favorite in Utah. Uh, Colin Sexton brings a lot of energy to the table. Um, and, you know, there's really not going to be anybody there to tell him to pass. So he's going to he's going to be scoring a lot of points. Um, he, you know, this is kind of what he was looking for, an opportunity to run the show. So I, I think he's a definite winner. Um, but really, I think the city of Cleveland and that franchise has really, really put themselves in a great position to be successful for, you know, the next potentially three, four years. Um, I think they only have Donovan guaranteed for another three. So it kind of is dependent on what that looks like and if he decides to pull the ripcord at some point. But, I mean, this is great news for the Cavaliers, putting putting a, a high caliber all star around Evan Mobley, who, in my opinion, is going to be become a generational talent um, I've, I've seen a lot of video of him in the offseason and he, he looks phenomenal so i'm really excited to see what that looks like um but i mean anytime you add you know uh and let's say at worst donovan mitchell's a top 25 player in the nba anytime you're going to add a guy like that to a core roster that already has several all-stars um and some young developing talent um especially talent like mobley who was a very sought after draft pick uh things are looking really good for you. So I think the East has definitely been put on high alert. They continue to get better. Um, we, we are far removed from three or four seasons ago when it was just very clearly the West was the best and that was the end of it. Um, we finally have the quote unquote parody that we've been looking for as NBA fans constantly, um, you know, kind of clamor about on Twitter. So this, this is really, this is great. Uh, I wish the city of Utah all the best. They're not going to win very many games. Like, let's just be very real about that. Uh, you know, Connolly's still going to be out the door. Clarkson's going to be out the door. Bogdanovich is going to be out the door. I think Beasley, you know, is probably going to end up being out the door. Although I could see him being the last one since his his age, you know, kind of lines up a little bit better with what I think they're looking to do. But yeah, I mean, this was this was shocking. It was unexpected. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, it's it's all around win. So I, I can't wait for the season to open and see what the Cavs look like. Yeah, I can't wait either. Uh, the days of the NBA uh, least least during conference is, is long behind. And your comment about Lloyd Marketing being a crowd favorite, that's a very loaded comment to talk about off camera. So we're not going to talk about that right now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very loaded comment. But I agree. It's, it, it's, I think it's a win for both teams. Assets, trade trade value as far as you know being able to kind of clean out that roster and kind of really shape it to a foundation that they truly want to build upon um in salt lake city and for the state of utah who are very passionate fans who will definitely love lloyd marketing again that's a loaded statement there um and then on the flip side cleveland definitely you know getting an all-star it's a team that's been ascending for the last two seasons and just been really developing uh, J.B. Bickerstaff, a great coach uh, for the Cavaliers. And obviously the Hawks are familiar going with the against the Cavaliers because obviously they're in the Eastern Conference. And we actually played them several times last year, including the play-in game, to beat them to get into the playoffs. So I think that we're going to be locking horns with them quite a bit of the next, you know, next few years, especially with us getting uh, DeJounte Murray, them getting Donovan Mitchell. The people have, have already been talking about who has a better backcourt between the Hawks and Cleveland. That's a conversation for later in this program. But we're going to still talk big picture and big picture, David. And, you know, I kind of, you know, shaped my power rankings once this trade went down. And, you know, we've talked about this. We can compare and contrast, see what needs to change. But I think at this point, 
when you're looking at the Eastern Conference right now, heading into training camp, just looking at rosters on paper at this point, I still have Milwaukee as the best team in the East. I know Boston was the team that got to the NBA Finals last year, but you, as long as you have Giannis on your team, you still have the pieces around Giannis with a Drew Holiday, with the Chris Middleton, uh, the experience, them having won a championship. I think that gives them a slight leg up over the Boston Celtics, who I have at two. Then for me, it's the Philadelphia 76ers, who I have um, talked about on another program, the new program here um, for a hoop ball. Uh, I mean, sorry, Sports Ethos, that it's kind of like around the horn. Um, beat the buzzer. Great show. Um, I did win. But and I did pick Philly as a dark horse to potentially, you know, get to the NBA finals and make some noise this year, even though they are higher on my power ranking. They're a team that I think is slept on um, as far as motivationally and overshadowed by the Milwaukee's, the Boston's, Brooklyn with Kevin Durant news this offseason. So I have Philly at three, Miami at four, Brooklyn that I mentioned at five, Chicago. Chicago at six, Toronto still at seven, and then battling for eight is going to be either Cleveland or Atlanta. Um, as of the last episode, Atlanta, I had them as the eighth best team in the East um, after making the Murray trade and having Cleveland just right behind them on their heels, and now they're kind of locked, in my opinion. So as far as power rankings go, do you see any changes with the with your power rankings compared to what I have? Is it pretty much the same? Uh, you know, Brad, honestly, I think my power rankings are going to be pretty similar to yours. Um, to your point, you know, Giannis is, I, I think, at a minimum, you know, top two best players in the world right now. Uh, I guess kind of depending on where your fandom lies, you may have a different answer for who's won. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that guy's incredible. So, yeah, I definitely think Milwaukee should be at the top of the pulpit there. I mean, Chris Middleton doesn't get injured last season. And who knows who was up in the NBA Finals against the Warriors. You know, that, that, that's how fragile that that was um boston yeah i mean they they haven't necessarily their offseason has been interesting they were they went out and got brogdon and gallo obviously as we talked yesterday offline gallo is they've confirmed that acl tear so they're not going to have him this season um and brogdon is you know get well gallo get well definitely get well to gallo um and brogdon is unfortunately very injury prone as a player so we'll, we'll see what boston looks like but to your point you know they're bringing back that core they still got marcus smart grant williams hopefully a healthy robert williams this season tatum jalen brown that's a good squad at two uh philly of course was very aggressive this offseason they went out and got pj uh they went out and got um D'Anthony Melton, who I think is going to get a lot of run, who I think is a very, it's going to be a, a pretty sneaky fantasy play. Um, if you're looking for a guard who's going to put up some pretty good stats, especially with me expecting, you know, Embiid and Harden are going to get rested a decent amount. Um, I think they'll have a pretty good team, you know, and then as you kind of get into four through eight, in my opinion, all of this could really switch up depending on who, who, who has a superstar and all-star injury first. Um, you know, Miami, we know what Miami is, so I really don't have to go into it. I just do wonder, you know, with the loss of PJ, um, with Tyler Hero kind of seeming like he is looking for a bigger role than the Miami Heat may be willing to give him at this point. I just wonder what that looks like. I wonder what Kyle Lowry's health is going to be like for the entirety of the season. Um, They have a couple holes they need to fill. So I'm curious to see kind of where they go in that regard. Brooklyn, I mean, we've been talking about Brooklyn all summer in some capacity. Uh, Best team on paper. Need to see him on the court. That's really all I got to say there. Like, I, I just need to see it. Uh, Chicago, again, you're bringing Levine back. You went out and got Drummond. Uh, DeRozan, you know, 
had a great season last year. I'm very curious to see if they get Lonzo back and win um, because when they had Lonzo and Caruso and DeRozan and all their guys running around, they they were looking amazing. So if everything falls right for them, they could rock themselves up to four. You know, yeah. any of those yeah. teams kind of in that four through eight, I think, could shuffle. Um, and I do want to add that they there was a report yesterday that it is doubtful that Lonzo will start the season for the Bulls. So they it seems like they'll have a little bit of time in the early part of the season without Lonzo before he does step back on the court uh, in Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, that is a bit concerning, especially given the amount of time he missed last year and the type of injury that he had. Um, So I'm going to be watching that very closely. Toronto, you know, Toronto could jump up because they could make a trade still. You know, they were very much in the mix for Kevin Durant. Um, They still have all their draft picks, one of the few teams in the NBA that can actually say that. Um, And they have a bevy of talent still on the roster. I'm curious to see if they make a move for any of Utah's veterans. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to kind of see what they do to round out their roster, you know, before yeah. the trade deadline. Because yeah, I would expect a, them to be aggressive. And that's a very, very valid point. I know this wasn't um, on the script, but I know that OG Ananobi was a huge um, – he was on the trading block of pretty much his whole entire offseason and still on the mm-hmm. roster at this point. Uh, do you think that's the person that's going to most likely be shipped out if Toronto is to make a move? Well, truthfully, I wonder if Toronto would need to ship anybody out to make a move necessarily. Um, I think it's really, again, going to be dependent on what they're looking for. If they're knocking on Utah's door, I could see them getting a deal done with picks um, and maybe a Kim Birch or, you know, uh, some salary filler in a sense to bring back a Bogdanovich to to maybe bring in. a. Honestly, I think Bogdanovich would be probably the best suited for them. I don't really see them going after Clarkson. Maybe it's just a popcorn scorer off their bench. But, I mean, you got Malachi Flynn, who's still developing. you got FVV. Uh, you still got Gary Trent, who I think they would want to maintain long term. And we'll see what they do with his contract. So I think Bogdanovich would probably be the, the target for them. Um, and I don't really see them giving up OG for, for Bogdanovich. I, I, I don't think Masai would have an appetite for that. But... It remains to be seen if another player becomes available, a more valuable one. I definitely think OG would be the first player they're putting in a trade with a pick and they're sending him out the door. Because, as you said, I mean, it was looking like he was going to get traded all all offseason. We know Scotty Barnes isn't going to get moved. So if they're going to bring in another wing, you would think one's got to go. Um, and that would probably be OG. Yeah. And, you know, as we kind of go into, you know, eight with this Cleveland-Atlanta split. Like I said, you know, depending on how things shake out and how teams look, you know, Cleveland could come out and have a very good team defense because of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Like they 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 really could. Um, I'm not as sold on the Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland defensive backcourt. But, you know, those kind of um, deficiencies can be made up for when you have, you know, that kind of that level of rim protection, as we clearly saw in Utah. I mean, Utah perennially had a top NBA defense and their perimeter defense was not great. Royce O'Neal was their best perimeter defender, and he's now in Brooklyn. So I, I'm curious to see kind of what that looks like. Um, and then Atlanta, you know, they brought in Murray. Uh, I, I'm really curious to see kind of what that dynamic looks like. And I know you're going to speak to that a little bit more as we kind of go through the pod here. But yeah, those two teams, I think Cleveland definitely has the the, the higher ceiling, if you will. Um, but I think for both of those two teams, the floor should be yeah, around the around the eighth seed, I think that both of those franchises, Atlanta and Cleveland, are still are still well ahead of a Charlotte, um, and obviously the bottom of the East. I, I don't even really have to go through those teams because they're all they're they're lottery teams. So you, you're really just trying to outpace Charlotte, who still doesn't have a starting center. Um, so you know, I, I I think that 
I think that the way your ranking shaked out is pretty similar to where I would have everything at this time. Yeah, there's still some questions, especially for the team. I mean, there's questions for everybody in the Eastern Conference, which is talks about obviously and leads back into your point about the parity in the league, especially in the Eastern Conference at this point. Uh, but we're go- definitely going to dive a little bit more into the battle for the seven, eight, nine spots, potentially six, uh, depending on where we see the ceiling being for the Atlanta Hawks and for Cleveland, Toronto, and so forth. So we're going to break all that down after this plug. Folks, there is no such thing as a fantasy offseason. Only the pre-draft season. And here at Sports Ethos, the pre-draft season has already begun. Our expert analysts are churning out important lessons learned and draft analysis on incoming rookies so you can get the jump on your prep. And we'll have incredible free agency, summer league, and as well as team coverage here at Sports Ethos, but only if you're part of our premium member team. So head to sportsethos.com right now, hit the premium tab, and grab a fantasy pass today. Seriously, cook yourself one extra dinner a month because it's only $5.99 a month. So see you there at the top of your standings once you get our new fantasy pass for this upcoming fantasy season. All right, and we are back talking more about the impact of this Mitchell trade on the Atlanta Hawks. We just talked about it before the break. It's really going to be a battle between 7, 8, and 9 for Toronto, Cleveland, and Atlanta. And this is no surprise that this is what we're going to be finishing up this episode with. Because these are the three teams that are pretty much going to be jockeying for position with one another. And they're going to have to really kind of see where they are. Obviously, everyone and every one of these teams are going to have to focus on how good they can be individually. What do they need to do to be the best that they can be? We already know the Hawks need to get better defensively. Cleveland, they have to figure out how to make things work with that back with that backcourt. But we know defensively, they're one of the better teams in the league. Toronto's always well coached. They always play above, you know, what people expect them to be. And I don't see that, you know, drop off happening, but it's a, it's a potential. They could regress. So these are the conversations we're going to have, you know, to end the program. And these are the teams, these head-to-heads are going to be very, very important for the Atlanta Hawks through this season. We're going to have to, obviously, we're going to have to take care of business against, you know, the inferior teams, uh, sub-500 teams, which we're going to talk about for each of these teams that are jockeying for position. But when we play these teams, we're going to have to, you know, bring it. We're going to have to bring it. Um, and just for, you know, context, the Hawks play Toronto and Cleveland each three times this year. So we don't see them four times. There's going to be three times we see Toronto on the road twice, and then they come to Atlanta once. And on the flip side, we will go on the road first versus Cleveland. And then the last two contacts against the Cavaliers will be here in Atlanta. So as far as, you know, just to start off the conversation, David, am I right to say that, you know, Toronto, Cleveland, Atlanta, they're going to be kind of locking horns? Or do you think one team is kind of above the other? I I think we kind of know which team is above, you know, the other at this point. But 
what is your thoughts between Toronto, Cleveland, and Atlanta? Well, it's, it's interesting that you should ask that. I mean, I think that the natural inclination, and again, this is going to depend where you find yourself. Obviously, if you find yourself on the East Coast, you may have a different answer, um, Brad. But I think very clearly the, the answer should be the Cleveland Cavaliers simply because of the fact that they added, you know, like I said, a, a top 25 NBA player to their roster. Um, neither of the other two teams, the other two teams being the Raptors and the Hawks, did that this offseason. I don't think anybody, even in their their best fever dream, would consider Deontay Murray a top 25 NBA player at present. Um, however, you, you know, I think that there is merit to what you said about those three teams locking horns. Um, I, because of you know different things for for Cleveland's sake, like I just said, they added an All Star. Evan Mobley is going to continue to develop. I'm very curious to see what he looks like uh, this season. Um, and they're you know they're they're building a, a very strong culture in Cleveland. You know after after LeBron left, they were kind of a joke for a minute, and they, they've kind of rejuvenated themselves. So I'm curious to see where that goes. Obviously Toronto, you can never count them out because Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches in the NBA, and Masai Ujiri is one of the best GMs in the NBA. So if there's an opportunity or an option for them to improve their roster, they will. Um, and on the court, Nick Nurse is going to create schemes to get the most out of his guys. Scotty Barnes is looking amazing. Um, I can't wait to see what he looks like this season. Um, you know, there's a lot of growth and room for improvement on that roster. And I think guys are going to be stepping into bigger roles. So, you know, the pendulum could swing different ways depending on how they perform. Uh, and then for the Hawks, you know, in my personal opinion, their offseason has been the most fraught, uh, because there was a lot of rumors and mums the word that didn't necessarily pan out. I'm curious to see what that looks like for John Collins coming back to that roster. Um, I'm kind of curious to see, as I said, what the Trey Deontay backcourt looks like. Um, I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, and I just, in my opinion, Atlanta did not take the, the step, obviously that, that Cleveland did with that trade. Um, so it's kind of put them back, in my opinion, where they were last season. Um, but again, that could be plus 10 or 12 games in either direction, depending on how Murray pans out. You know, it, all, all of that could change. Um, but I definitely think Cleveland, just because of the roster construction on paper, again, you got to give them the nod in terms of if I had to bet on a team that was going to finish if I had to pick one of those three teams to finish above sixth in the Eastern Conference, it would probably be the, the Cavaliers before the, the latter two. Yeah, and I mean, it's no slight. I mean, I've even talked about it in the program. I think that we've made a lateral move. Everyone expected, you know, one move and then a second move involving John Collins to happen, and that still has not happened to this point. And he, they're kind of holding on to John Collins the same way. Toronto's holding on to their picks in OG and Anobi, which could help them in the trade deadline, depending on or early season if they're not early season, but post January if a trade needs to be made. But I agree with you. Um, Atlanta necessarily didn't not take a leap forward. Now they're projecting, you know, the Hawks to win 46 games this year. And last year they won 43. So they're thinking that the Murray move adds three wins, but 46 wins. Where does that really put you? I mean, last year that was good for sixth, seventh in the East. So we're still kind of talking about the same area as far as for the Hawks ending up this year. And, you know, to your point, Toronto, even though they're, they're bringing back, they have continuity. They didn't really add anything to the roster. Um, this is a quick question for you, 
do you see Toronto regressing like Atlanta did last year, barring an injury or just because they didn't make a move? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think there's always a possibility for regression, especially, you know, when at points last year, I was really wondering, like, does, does Pascal Siakam want to be in Toronto? Like, yeah. I, I I don't think we we currently have an answer for that. I mean, everybody. And, I, I'm, and, and everybody, I've mentioned, and I've mentioned it on this program, too. Yeah. Like, I just I don't know. Um, he uh, honestly, he is the one that will give you the most value if you were to make a trade, especially uh, with the ascension of Barnes. Absolutely. And so that's why it's a it's a fair question to ponder, you know, because depending on what the answer to that is, that could really change the situation in Toronto. If he does want to be there and he's locked in and committed and he comes out and looks like the player that he was two seasons ago, um, they're going to have a very good team, unquestionably. You know, Um, if that's not the case. And they move him depends what they get back. You know, I. I think it's it's very interesting to kind of see how Toronto's season plays out because, yeah, they have just kind of stood pat. And I wonder if that's because there's something they're waiting on or if it's because they feel confident in the group that they already have. I know their level of confidence in Scotty Barnes is obviously through the roof. Um, but as far as everybody else on that roster, I really can't speak to that. And that would be a question I would love to ask Nick Nurse or Masai Ujiri if I could ever get them in a room because um, I, I really just do wonder – what the current status is of Pascal Siakam and his tenure in Toronto. Because to your point, Brad, I mean, this this coming offseason, free agency 23, there's going to be some big names available. Um, are, are they going to sit and wait to try to entice one of those in a sign-and-trade? I, I, at present, I can't even speak to Siakam's contract situation, but if you're going to move him, it seems like the time to move him would be before the trade deadline. So I, I, I don't know. It's... It's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering what's going on up north. They've definitely got some decisions to make. But again, ultimately for them, they have a lot of talented pieces on their roster and they have a great coach who usually is able to figure things out. Um, so I expect them to open the season standing pat. I expect them to, you know, go through the first 15, 20 games and really assess where they are. And then if, you know, they're falling off a cliff or they're skidding in the standings, I expect them to probably make a move very aggressively. Um, as I said, you know, there are rumors about them potentially targeting Bogdanovich. I don't know who they would send out the door for that, but like I said, if you're going to bring in another shooting wing, you know, somebody has got to be bumped. You know, you, you, who, who, who is going to the bench? Siakam is not going to be your five. You know, you got Barnes at your three. So where is that? OG, OG's out there. You know, where is something has got to give in the wing situation for the Raptors? So we'll see. Yeah. And last year they were 14th in offensive rating in the NBA, 10th in defensive rating. We know they're a really good defensive team, really good rebounding team, especially in the offensive glass. Um, They have a a pretty young but very energizing uh, front court, to say the least, uh, with the youth they have. They averaged uh, seventh last year in opponents points per game, but 20th in the league in points per game themselves. And they finished Fifth in the East, 48 and 34. Hawks were one and three last year versus Toronto. And then the year prior, the Hawks swept the Raptors. So they've been going back and forth. Still a talented roster, some decisions to make. So they are the wild card as far as if there's a team that could maybe take a step back 
it could be them. And I do, like I said, agree with you, anticipating maybe a move happening at some point. Obviously, we, we've talked already about Cleveland and, and, and top of the program, you know, having Mitchell. You still have Garland, Mobley, Jared Allen, Robin Lopez as a backup center. So a really big front court, uh, which has kind of been their mantra the last couple of years. Still have an experienced uh, NBA champion on the roster and Kevin Love, Isaac Okoro, um, Karis LeVert. Rubio last year, Cleveland was 20th in offensive rating. I see that improving with Mitchell, but defensively they they've been in the top 10, you know, the entire year in defensive rating and are fifth in opponents points per game, 25th in points per game themselves. And last year they finished 44 and 38, which was good for eighth in the Eastern conference. And they did have that late season collapse, which did coincide with Jared Allen's injury. But even with, the quote-unquote defensive efficiencies that Donovan Mitchell and Garland have, you know, defensive efficiency, defensive rating, Donovan Mitchell the career 109. Garland is a career 112. Actually, he was 112 last year. He's been improving yearly. Uh, both of their, you know, defensive ratings is still better than Trey Young's, who's a career 117. And it's funny. People talk about how is the defense going to be for the backcourt for – the Cavaliers and everyone's high on Murray because he uh, obviously being a pretty good defensive player as a guard, Murray's defensive uh, rating career wise is a 108, which is only one point better than Donovan Mitchell's. So a lot of people are putting stock into the defense that Murray uh, brings now because he's going to be alongside a Trey Young and a better roster that could improve because he could just be focusing not focusing more on defense, but it could allow him to just kind of just be more defender uh, and then obviously have an opportunity to be that second scorer for Atlanta. So that's something that needs to be worked out. Like that's, you know, that's a whole nother conversation in itself. But the battles between Cleveland and, and, and Atlanta, obviously last year, we did not do well against them. We're going to have to beat, beat this team. We're going to have to beat this team. We're going to have to, um, Last year, we were 3-1 and one against the Cavaliers, and that does not include the playing game. So we were 4-1 and one against the Cavaliers last year, who just added D- Donovan Mitchell. In the previous year, we did have a losing record versus the Cavaliers, and in the year prior, we did not win a game against the Cavaliers. So before last year, we were struggling against this Cleveland team. And like I said, we do play them three times this year, on the road November 21st in Cleveland, and then at home February 24th and March 28th. So... We're going to be locking horns. Uh, do you see a situation where the Hawks do play Cleveland again in the play-in, or do you think that Cleveland's just going to be just better than both Toronto? It's going to most likely be probably Toronto that we see uh, in a play-in situation. If I had to bet on it, I would I would probably put Toronto in the play-in scenario. Um, again, just because of a uh, – a roster on paper situation. I think defensively Cleveland just has something that neither one of those two teams do. Um, that rim protection, as we've seen, can just really elevate your defensive status in the NBA. Um, and they have two elite rim protectors, in my opinion, Mobley, um, because of his mobility, uh, his ability to guard multiple positions. Truthfully, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know if you want to call him a one through five guy. Quite yet. I don't. I don't want to be one of those guys who. Just says that about any big that, you know, can actually move laterally. But this, this guy does a really good job on the perimeter. And, and Jared Allen is, is a proven rim protector, an elite one. You know, uh, I don't think 
either Toronto or or um, Atlanta uh, can say that about their about their front courts. So for me, I would say it's going to be a Toronto Atlanta kind of a slugfest for that for that play in spot. Um, but again, as I said, and you know, as we continue to talk about injuries can can change everything. You know, one injury could could bring them up or drop them down. So um, I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see as well. Um, that depth in that front court uh, for Cleveland is a problem. And even um, the, the playing game last year, the Hawks did struggle when Jared Allen was out there, just even though he was coming off injury, his presence as far as altering shots and making people second guess in the paint uh, to shoot because of his length and his um, knack for blocking shots. That's going to be something that everyone is going to have to deal with. Um, in the in the East and in the NBA in general. So and they already were a good defensive team last year. I don't know if they necessarily get better this year because they added um, Mitchell. They don't certainly get worse. I mean, getting rid of Lloyd Markin and uh, Obati wasn't even on the roster really yet to even know what his defensive impact would have been. And we know Colin Sexton is not known as a. Uh, as a defender, he wants to, you know, he's a go-getter. You know, he's a go-getter uh, as far as on the offensive side and just plays with a lot of energy. So, but it's going to be some very, very important matchups when we play Toronto and we play Cleveland. I think those are the teams we're going to have to look at in the entire year as far as where are they in the standings, how are we doing head-to-head versus versus these teams. And, um I've already said that the Hawks will be better defensively because with Murray. I mean, last year they were 21st in opponents points per game and 26th in defensive rating in the NBA. And they were still 43 and 39, which was good for ninth in the East last year. And they think that the Murray trade adds three wins to this point. Um, But like I said, the key for them will be them being better defensively, getting better defensively. And then just obviously winning the games in the head to heads that you're supposed to, um, it's going to be a broken record on this program, defensive uh, commitment and continuity, and then figuring out who's going to close out games between Murray and Young. And just to get your, you know, take here, do you think the Hawks will be better defensively? And do you think two part question? Do you think the Hawks will be better defensively this year, adding Murray? And the second question is closing out games, do you think it will still be young or do you think it will be kind of a game to game fill it out situation as far as who has the hot hand and who has the favorable matchup to close out the game in the backcourt as far as who's going to take the last shot and so forth? Well, I guess I'll address your your second question first. Um, the, the Hawks are still playing in Atlanta, right? Yeah, still Atlanta. Okay, so Trey Young's still gonna be the last one taking that shot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, because this, I mean, it's, it's 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 a conversation to have, you know. Um, I think it's gonna be Trey as well, but you know, I, I didn't know if it was gonna be, you know, fill it out a game situation if Trey is struggling. Um, I mean, we know that even though even if he struggles, he can still get that last shot. Uh, we've seen him do that time and time again, but. Who, with the Murray's impact, who knows? Especially his ability to get to the rim and um being the more physical guard between the two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely think that there's going to be games where, you know, Marie kind of starts to pop off in, you know, the third or fourth quarter and they ride that, that wave. Um, but I, I think that still, you know, if, if 
if it's a two point game, uh, one possession game, you know, less than two minutes left in the fourth, I would assume that they're going to still continue to run the offense through Trey. I think Murray will will continue to be more of an off ball player just because, as as we've talked, you know, as we talked about in the past um, ad nauseum. Trey Young and his ability to be effective off ball is something that I still need. I still need to see, mm-hmm. you know, I, I need him to want it a little bit more. And, you know, if you're going to get all these flailing comparisons to Steph Curry because of your ability to just shoot, you know, with this quote unquote limitless range and being an undersized guard, well, then you got to move without the ball like Steph Curry. That's what makes Steph as dangerous as he is mm-hmm. because he never stops moving because he's constantly making the defense reshuffle, reposition, and figure out where this guy is. Trey Young doesn't really do that when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. So i got to see him want to do that. You know, if it's going to be the Murray show with, with, with the Trey Youngettes on the sideline, anytime Deontay has the ball and he's going downhill, you know, that, that's not going to help them. Um, because Trey is not a big target for Deontay to necessarily kick out to when, when he creates pressure by, by driving. So I, I kind of got to see how that looks. But, again, if I was a betting man, I, I would bet on – Trey Young as you know kind of the the end-all be-all um when it comes to their offensive engine just because that that's who's given them the notoriety that they that they currently have I mean that that's the reason why they have national television games you know that is the reason so I just don't I don't see them trying to do anything that would potentially upend his happiness or satisfaction there um and and again, I don't necessarily think that that's because it's the best thing for the team. Um, but I think when you have a franchise in a market like Atlanta, you have to do everything that you can to appease whatever whatever star quality talent you have there. Because uh, there's no guarantees. One, you're going to be able to bring another back, whether that be in a trade or free agency. And two, I mean, if you look at the history of the Atlanta Hawks, it's not like they've just had some plethora of, you know, talented lottery picks that they brought in that's reinvented their franchises that 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 doesn't happen like that so i think i think they recognize what they have with trey and they're going to try to keep him as long as they can you know for better or for worse so we we'll see what the what the trey deontay show looks like um but but i think it'll be fun i definitely think it'll be fun um i'm sorry and what was your what was your first question we got so so into the second one no, no, no. Actually, you know what? Uh, I'll revisit the first question, but I, I want to kind of tap into this a little bit more because a lot of people are kind of comparing and contrasting, saying that Mitchell and Garland are the best. It's the best backcourt in, in the East. Uh, do you think they have the nod or do you still give it to Trey and Murray? I mean, me personally and not trying to be biased. Uh, Trey Young is better than all all three, all three of those other players. I'm sorry. Trey Young is better than Mitchell. He's better than Garland at this point. And he's better than Murray, which why is Murray is going to be the second option. So I think even though, you know, they're both close as far as backcourts, I think the fact that we have Trey Young gives us a nod as far as the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference at this point. But curious to see your thoughts here. Yeah, that's. That's fair. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to just quickly assess the landscape, the backcourt landscape in in the East. Yeah, you know, I mean. I don't know if I want to say the best, like if, if Trey and Deontay are quote unquote, the best backcourt in the East, um, my question to you would be what makes them the best? Because in my opinion, if I had to pick a backcourt from the East, that would be the best. It's probably gonna be the bucks. And it's not because they're the most fun or they're the flashiest or they score the most. But I think if I had to pick 
a backcourt that I would trust to roll out there for a, a seven-game series. Um, I, I would trust Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton a little bit more than I would trust Deontay Murray and Trey Young. And it, it's for multiple reasons. It's for their size, their defensive ability, their 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 proven clutch yeah. play. Um, yeah, that's fair. I would say all those are factors in, in, in that decision. But if we're simply comparing Trey Young and Deontay versus Mitchell and Garland, um, honestly, I mean – Honestly, you could give the Hawks a nod if you'd like, because I think Trey has kind of stepped into himself a little bit sooner than Garland has. Um, but as far as the difference between Trey Young and Donovan Mitchell in terms of like top 25 NBA talent, um, I don't think there's a huge gap between those two guys and their games are very, very different. Um, but I just don't think that there's just this massive gap. Um, and when it comes to, Murray, when it comes to Murray and uh, Garland, you know, personally, I'm I'm going to lean with Garland, and, and I and I'm aware of the injury history, um, but I, I just think he has a higher ceiling than 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 Deontay does. Yeah, I I need Deontay's jumper to improve. Um, I need him to become a more consistent playmaker. Uh, defensively, the the dude is a, an absolute problem. I mean, as far as you know, getting blocks from the guard position this this guy is a pro i mean he he was one of the league leaders in steals uh he's an absolute menace um but yeah if i had to pick one backcourt from the east i I would personally pick drew holiday and and chris middleton again just because of their body of work um compared to the others fair enough fair enough um and the other question was um do you think the hawks will be better defensively now that they added murray I think on the perimeter, unquestionably, unfortunately, Trey Young is one of the worst perimeter defenders in the NBA. So, you know, the question is how much better? Um, I think passably better. Yes. Noticeably better. <laughs> it, it depends on who they're going to play. You know, Deontay, obviously, like I said, is going to bring them in elements they did not have on their roster last season. So that's really what I'm banking on in that regard. But, you know, we got to see more defensive consistency from DeAndre Hunter, um, you know, Clint Capella has really not been the same defensive player he was since he left Houston. Um, and I'll and disagree. That, and I'll disagree there. I'll disagree there. He was the first year. The Achilles injuries would set him back last year. Uh, so um, I think I agree he's not the same defensive player, but I think it's more attuned to his injury, not uh, just leaving Houston personally. Oh, well, and, and that much I can agree with. I, and, and I didn't say that to insinuate that, you know, Houston was getting more out of Capella than the Hawks know how to. I think that in Houston, his role was he was relied on in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, yes, when he came to Atlanta and suffered that Achilles injury, the way that they need him to play is not a way that he's going to be as able to facilitate as he was prior to that injury. Um but yeah, I mean, like, and hey, Okongu could take a big step. That could become their back line, you know, kind of stalwart to round out their defense. But but they're going to need real rim protection because, as far as I'm concerned, you know, if if Deontay is not in front of the ball, then the ball is going to get to the rim. I just don't see who on the perimeter is going to be stopping the ball on a consistent basis like that. Again, you know, a Hunter has not shown it to me on a consistent basis. That could change. But until Okongu and Hunter really step into the defensive players that I think that the Hawks project them to be, um, they're going to, it's kind of going to be a defense by committee situation in Atlanta. So we we will see. 
Yeah, and even if it's defense by committee, it's still going to be better because it means that they're going to be bought in uh, defensively, which is going to, which is one of the huge, huge keys for this year. It's just the commitment on the defensive end as a team and continuity. And I think that Murray guarding the point of attack and the, and the perimeter is going to take pressure off of Hunter, which means I think he'll be better by default defensively. And now the Hawks have mm-hmm. three people who are committed, quote-unquote, to the defense in their starting lineup between Murray, Hunter, and Capella. So I think that by default, if you can get Collins, if he's still on this roster, to commit to the defensive end, if you have four out of five surrounding Trey Young, I think by default they are better defensively. But that's a big if. That's a big if. We have to see how things play in. Um, We have a new assistant coach uh, in Longombardi who is known for defense, who's been on some championship teams. Uh, been on the championship Celtics team that was pretty pretty good defensively and obviously Cleveland uh, with the down three uh, one obviously they had to tighten up defensively there so he can be a tribute to that success in that NBA Finals over that Warriors team but until we play the games until training camp happens we don't know uh, but I think the biggest key for all of these teams as far as who finishes higher is how they fare against teams that they're supposed to beat. And how they fare against teams that are above 500. When you look at last year, it's no surprise. Toronto was the the higher seed out of uh, out of the Hawks, Cleveland, and obviously the Raptors. Where I mentioned, they were 28 and 22 against teams above 500. Last year, the Hawks, who had injury problems, w- were 22 and 29 against teams above 500. And the Cavaliers last year, youth and injuries as well were 21 and 29. So the Hawks had a better record against teams above 500. And they were in the year they were fifth, you know, the year prior, obviously the the run to the Eastern Conference Finals, they weren't much better um, against teams above 500, uh, but they were better against teams sub 500. Uh, They did take a step back against teams sub 500 last year. So, I mean, and, and that's just common sense. Beat the teams who you're supposed to beat. And can you steal a couple against teams that are, above 500. I think that's going to dictate the success of all three of these teams to see who's going to finish higher. And on top of obviously, if we're looking at the Hawks, which is this is a Hawks program. I know we didn't talk a lot or dive deep into the Hawks this year, uh, this episode, um, listeners, but we already know what the Hawks need to do. They need to buy in defensively. Uh, we need to make see how it's going to work between Murray and Young. And we need to kind of see is Collins going to be on this roster this uh, this current season, or is it going to be a ship-out situation to the trade deadline, depending on his usage? Those are questions that still need to be asked. Um, it, it, it's not there yet, but these are things that are going to have to be filtered out throughout the season. So all in all, the Cleveland trade is causing Super Bowl effects. It's causing the Hawks to – or Hawks fans to do more self-reflections. It's causing me who, you know – our analysts and our people who cover the team to really look and see. We already already said that we didn't take a step forward. It's more of a lateral move, I think, or maybe a slight improvement in some areas. But with Cleveland, who was already better record-wise than us last year, making the move that they made, it begs the question, is there another move for the Hawks to make? Or do they trust what they have in house and will they make a step forward next year? So it's going to be an exciting year Uh, questions that need to be answered. This is a very important year for the Hawks. This is a proven year. I think there's pressure 
all, all, all across the board. Nate McMillan, it's be pressure on Trey Young, pressure on um, Hunter, uh, Collins. There's a lot of pressure on this team. Uh, but pressure can make diamonds or it can make people fold. So we're going to see what happens with this Atlanta Hawks team. And uh, David, I want to thank you again for taking the time this Saturday morning to come on and lend your expertise and your thoughts and your analysis as far as NBA is concerned. And I thank you for that. Um, and uh, let the listeners know, you know, what you got going on, how they can follow you, um, any other news that you want to make pertinent to the Hawks listeners. Yeah, Brad, no, as always, man, I really appreciate you having me on and talk hoops. It's always a pleasure. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, DFB underscore three. Um, and as far as, you know, what we got cooking up, uh, you know, Brad and I, uh, Brad and I might be working on a little something here to give you all you beautiful listeners out there a little bit more basketball content on a regular basis. So stay tuned. I know you will, because this is clearly your favorite program. That's why you're hearing the sultry sounds of us talking about statistical analysis for the NBA upcoming season right now. So please stay tuned, stay locked in, locked in Hawks, of course. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really excited for, for everything that's coming. Brad's been working really hard, you know, so I got to give him all his credit as he, as he always does to all the guests who come on his show. You're doing an awesome job, Brad. We, we really appreciate all the opportunity to come on here and chop it up with you. And uh, as always, you know, I'm going to be tuning in to everything you got coming out. So, I'm excited for the season to open up, and I should be down there in ATL before too long. So we'll have to get some some live going when I come down there because we know it's going to be live in ATL. It's always live. There's always something going on, and um, we're definitely talking about maybe going to a Hawks game. So, listeners, I will let you know which game that will be, and that will be a fun experience for me. to. I have not seen a game in person um, in Atlanta. Uh, I am ashamed to admit it. I've watched a ton of games. Uh, covering this team, but I I can't wait to get in the building and watch a Hawks game. Uh, so we're going to keep you in tune uh, with that. And as far as what me and David also got cooking up as well, we're um, whipping it, obviously, as well. But if you love what you heard today, give us five stars, give us a good review, share it and tell everybody about one of the hottest podcasts on the network and in general in the Atlanta area covering the Atlanta Hawks. You know who it is. Share with fellow Hawks fans, NBA fans, Georgia sports fans, basketball fans. It does not matter. Follow us on Twitter at Ethos Hawks on Twitter. That's at Ethos Hawks on Twitter. And follow myself on Twitter at Brad Jarrett 67. That is Brad J-A-R-R-E-T-T 67. We'll catch you guys next time. I appreciate you guys' patience and support of this program. Training camp is coming. Hawks basketball is Almost a month away, as far as preseason is concerned, with our trip to Abu Dhabi. Almost a month away. So we're going to be revving up here as far as when training camp comes, as far as figuring out what's going on, what schemes they're working on, injury, breaking news. So we are going to be tuned in, and I cannot wait to give you the news regarding the Atlanta Hawks. We'll see you guys next time.